0: Take your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Exodus, Genesis Exodus, we'll be reading in chapter 9 and 10, God's persuasive power, that power is on display in Egypt, none of the Egyptian gods can stand before Yahweh, the one who is, the one who has all power. And we've seen the Lord's patience and judgment um, upon the uh, the stubborn heart of Pharaoh, and that's going to continue as we uh, turn in God's word this morning. God is sovereign; He controls all things, uh, every part of His created order, and He rules over the hearts of men. Because He is sovereign, His mercy and His grace is His choice. Um, he does not coerce Pharaoh in any way uh, to worship Him, to serve Him against His will. Um, and so all those who would refuse to acknowledge the Lord, refuse to acknowledge His power and submit to His authority, they are uh, without excuse, only themselves to blame in that. And so the beauty and mystery of God's absolute sovereignty and the responsibility of people, the Bible holds those together uh, without question. So we're going to read in Exodus 9 and 10, this, this final cycle of strikes against uh, the Egyptians, the gods of Egypt, um, plagues 7 through 9 are, are the longest, or really we have the most detail uh, on these events compared to the other cycles. But they're following a familiar pattern. They're, they're in, introduced in a similar way, showing uh, that uh, this authorship here by Moses is intentional. I mean, there's intentional repetition as it ramps up, and yet there's, there's some... Uh, some change in these accounts that, that make it interesting, that make it um, good reading. So I hope that affirms for us. We should appreciate um, the Spirit's of work and superintending in the written Word of God. So if you have Exodus open, just leave it there for a moment because I, I want to uh, mention another character in the story that's a little bit later. A guy by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. Not a name you hear very much anymore. Parents don't use it. I don't understand why. But King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, maybe you remember him. Um, he marches into Jerusalem and he takes 10,000 plus of the Israelites captive into Babylon, most of the, the royal family and officials, including Daniel. And uh, Daniel has a lot of influence uh, King Nebuchadnezzar. He is the one that God uses to interpret the king's dreams. No one else can do this except Daniel. And on one occasion, the king has a dream, and God gives Daniel insight into this dream. Daniel chapter 4. And, and, and the basic message was, break off your sins and do what is righteous. Show mercy to the oppressed. And, uh, because what is about to happen to you will happen until you know, Nebuchadnezzar, that God is king. That he is the one who raises up and puts down. That he is the most high. And You remember what happens just a few verses later after Daniel makes that interpretation? King Nebuchadnezzar is out on the wall of the palace sticking out his chest and saying, look at this. Look at what I've built. Look at this vast kingdom for my glory and my majesty. And before he can even spit the rest of that out, God takes it all away. It falls down on all fours. And how he got from the palace into the field, I don't know. But that's where it goes. It's all taken away. Um, Nebuchadnezzar had exalted himself. He wasn't just the man. He was God. All success, all the spoils, all the accolades, well, he had them coming, right? They were his. So why do I mention Nebuchadnezzar here at the beginning? Because we learned last week, we'll see again this morning, that in, in exalting himself, Nebuchadnezzar has a Pharaoh moment. His stubborn, prideful heart, Pharaoh, continues to exalt himself against the people of Israel, and therefore against the Lord, the one to whom they belong. Pharaoh is not just the man, he is God. It doesn't seem to matter what you tell him or show him. He will not submit to the rule of God. So Pharaoh moments. Great kings like Nebuchadnezzar have them, and people just like you and me, we have these moments. In fact, most of the trouble we get into Most sin can be traced back to that stubbornness, that pride in our hearts. Pride puffs up. There's this this self-obsession that comes with it. My thoughts, my opinions, my decisions, that is what matters. That's the most important thing in in this moment. Because really the world does revolve around me church, that, that individual self-obsession, is we're breathing that in around us. Um, I mean, you will likely not make the drive home this morning without either seeing it, hearing it, perhaps contributing to it. Feral moments. The self-obsession. And, and when we're self-obsessed, it just leads to a self-assertion. This is what I want to do, so I'm going to do it. This is what I believe is true. And since I am God, says the prideful heart, then who are you to tell me otherwise? Pharaoh uh, moments. Uh, they can be as obvious as a king on a palace or as subtle as the, the silent treatment on the way home. Or in the back as you leave. Uh, so we're going to look at this, this last cycle of strikes. final strike is coming. Uh, But we see the powerful, miraculous hand of God on display. What happened and and what happens now uh, for each of these. But before I read, let's pray together. Lord, we are so grateful for your word to us. Your word is life. It is living and active. And though all things pass away, your word will not pass away. Lord, who do we have in heaven but you? What do we desire on Nothing we desire here on earth beside you. Lord, teach us. Mold us into the likeness of Christ. Deepen our affection and delight. in Our Savior. Our Deliverer. Lord, show us how to apply this word. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. So beginning at verse 13 of Exodus chapter 9. Then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose I have raised you up, to show you my power, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exalting yourself against my people, and will not let them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow I will cause very heavy hail to fall, such as never has been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now therefore send, get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter, For every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses, but whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. And the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, so that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man and beast, and every plant of the field in the land of Egypt." Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire ran down to the earth. And the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very heavy hail, such as had never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck down everything that was in the field and all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, was there no hail. Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right and I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord. There has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go and you shall stay no longer. Moses said to him, As soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease, and there will be no more hail, so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord God. The flax and the barley were struck down, for the barley was in the ear, and the flax was in bud. But the wheat and the emmer, that a type of wheat, were not struck down, for they are late in coming up. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and stretched out his hands to the Lord, and the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain no longer poured upon the earth. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain, the hail, and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened. and He did not let the people of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. So the Lord could have wiped Pharaoh out in one strike. He could have done this without any plagues altogether. But he is showing his patience. His restraint and his power over opposing gods. Pharaoh, you thought it was bad before. Okay, now, now, now the real damage comes. Um, these strikes are going to touch you personally. They're going to hit your own stubborn heart, that they will be absolutely inexcusable. It's for this purpose that God has raised Pharaoh up put him in this position. There's a great play on words there in verses uh, 16 and 17. Uh, We have God raising in verse 16, Pharaoh raising in verse 17. God raising Pharaoh to show his power and glory, and Pharaoh raising himself in his own opposition. Pharaoh's exalting himself against the Lord. That language there is one of One of obstructing. I was talking to a neighbor, just kitty corner from us in our backyard, and they were working along the fence, uh, pulling out bushes and tearing away the vines. But there's one tree, it's a a decent-sized tree, and they said, we're going to leave that one there as a privacy tree. And I had no problem with that. I appreciated that. But what did they mean by that? When this tree has all the leaves on it, then we can't see into the back of their house, and they can't see into our house. It's obstructing the view. And so Pharaoh is obstructing a right view of God as the only all-powerful, all-knowing, all-sufficient ruler of creation. So God warns of this hailstorm. It's going to be a storm of such severity that Egypt has never seen anything like it before. And there are some Egyptians that pay attention to this. They've seen enough by the hand of this God that He is quite capable of fulfilling what He promises, what He says He's going to do. And so they move their workers and their animals uh, that were out in the fields under under cover. Uh, Much more difficult thing to do than we would imagine. You know, we think of the farms, we think of the barns and things like that, just move everybody inside. But if they had coverings, if they had... Barn-type structures. It was either well, people were living in covered places, or it was housing their their food. So if they were going to bring in the animals, they had to bring them into their living spaces, or bring them into the places where the rest of the food was. Not very pleasant, quite inconvenient. So for most people in Egypt, I mean, what's a hailstorm? They come and they go, right? They're fast. We had one sitting right over Little Rock just the other week. Coming back from Presbytery along I-40 there, they just stopped right in the middle of the highway as the hail came pouring down. But in a couple of minutes, it was gone. and moved on. Um, but This one doesn't blow over as fast uh, for Egypt. There's nothing out in the open that goes undamaged. People, animals, crops, the wind, the hail, the lightning strikes. Uh, it almost has an, uh, an apocalyptic As we read through this, like the days of Noah, the day of judgment to come. I think what what the Lord has created, He can undo just as fast. And this storm is stirred up by the hand of God, not just your your big thunderstorm. It came only in a specific place. Goshen was spared. The hailstorm comes exactly at the time that He says it would. And again, I think you know, there's no atheist in the foxhole, right? Things are getting bad and Pharaoh knows it. He says, okay, okay, I, I've been unfair. I, I've treated the people poorly. Just make it stop. Pharaoh, again, says what he needs to say. And there's really nothing that, that leads us to believe here that he was actually repentant. He's not seeking forgiveness from God. He's seeking Relief from the storm. And when relief comes, Moses, Moses goes out of the city. Isn't that interesting? The place where you wouldn't want to go, leaving the shelter and going out into the field, that's where Moses goes. Kind of affirming uh, the Lord's power, protection. Um, but Pharaoh sins again, turns away. Uh, both he and his servants. They know full well... What God's word is, they know full well what it would be to obey, and they willfully deny it. Um, Completely irrational. They're incapable of doing uh, what is good, making a good choice. I think later in Deuteronomy, we we read this is what what happens under the curse. And here, in in Deuteronomy, Moses is speaking to the people of Israel, saying, "If you do not obey the law of God, break covenant with him. This is what's going to happen." In Deuteronomy 28. The Lord will send on you curses, confusion, and frustration in all that you undertake to do until you are destroyed and perish quickly on account of the evil of your deeds because you have forsaken me. The Lord will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion of mind. Pharaoh moments. So it's not just pride, it's a lack of a lack of sense altogether. We have some detail here towards the end. Verses 31 and 32 help us narrow down when this storm uh, would have taken place, knocking out the flax and the barley, which were ready. They were in harvest, February to March time frame, but not taking out all the wheat that would have just started uh, to come through. And so it would appear that there's a little hope yet. Well, the, the rest of these crops are gone, but there's wheat until we get to the next strike. So what can we take away from this? What happens uh, now from this hailstorm? You know, Moses, Moses knew that Pharaoh and his servants, the people of Egypt, did not fear the Lord. But some of them did, did actually fear the word of the Lord. And that fear is what moved them to take action, moved them to, to take cover. And so by, by doing that, they're spared the devastation, their livestock. Uh, they're servants from the judgment of the storm. Salvation comes by responding to God's Word in faith. By obeying His Word. Our sin puts us in desperate need of a Savior. A need that we cannot... It's irrevocable. We can only be satisfied as we turn to the Lord in repentance and faith. There's salvation in no one else There is no other name under heaven whereby given among men uh, which we must be saved, Peter says. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, says Paul. So this is a word to heed, a word to be feared when it moves us to trust and obey uh, that word. It's a word that saves. We see Pharaoh's afraid of the plagues, but he did not fear God. He says that he has sinned, but he never turns from his sin. He, he hates the consequences of his sin, but he never actually hates the sin. He's remorseful, but he's not repentant. There's, there's a big difference there that's important to catch. And I think we often misunderstand that, even in the church. We can be filled with remorse, and most of us are, when we're, and we know we've hurt someone, or we've made a poor decision, but we never truly repent of our sin. We never take steps in the opposite direction to try and, and not sin that way again. And so remorse is what, remorse is the quick call. I like to think of this remorse is the quick. You know, call the chaplain, call the pastor. This is serious. But it's only going to be helpful when it moves us to see our sin, our real need, and repent. We see the Lord has, has raised Pharaoh up for this purpose. He raised up Moses for this purpose, to lead his people out of Egypt. He raises up Joshua to succeed Moses. He raised up Samuel, put Esther, the capital of Persia, at just the right time. Here's what he says to the prophet Jeremiah, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. He raised up the apostle Paul. This is what he writes to Timothy. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. We could add every name, every one of our names to that list. God has raised us up, raised us up for a purpose. What is it? To proclaim his name in all the earth, to show forth his power. And His glory and His majesty in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so God said to Pharaoh, in effect, I didn't have to do it this way. But I'm, I'm doing it this way for, for a purpose. I want, so that you would know me, that there is none like me. See, the Lord did not have to do things the way He has done in your life. But He has. In His sovereignty... In his sovereignty and providence, he has allowed and arranged all that has happened in your life to fulfill his purpose. That we would know him, that we would see him as God, as Lord of all, as our deliverer and as our king. Our perfect heavenly father, the Lord has raised us up for this. So given you that specific role, that responsibility Yes, that relationship to exalt not yourself, but Him. So what happened to the wheat that was left over? Strike number 8. Chapter 10. Start reading here at the beginning. The Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians. And what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go, that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your country. They shall cover the face of the land, so that no one can see the land. And they shall eat what is left to you after the hail." They shall eat every tree of yours that grows in the field, and they shall fill your houses and the houses of all your servants and of all the Egyptians, as neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have seen, from the day they came on earth to this day. Then he turned and went out from Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh's servants said to him, "How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not understand that Egypt is ruined?" So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh. And he said to them, go, serve the Lord your God. But which ones are to go? Moses said, we will go with our young and our old. We will go with our sons and daughters and with our flocks and herds, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. But he said to them, the Lord be with you. If ever I let you and your little ones go, look, you have some evil purpose in mind. No, go, the men among you, and serve the Lord. For that is what you're asking. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. I'm going to stop there, making reference to a few other places. Um, So now we have locusts coming. The destruction that comes with a swarm of locusts is absolutely enormous. Uh, Apparently, these locusts can eat their body weight in a day. Uh, We get a good sense of this, uh, at least the severity of this type of plague as we look at other locust plagues throughout history. And there have been many of them. Uh, even recently, plagues in the 1920s, 30s, 50s, one in the 80s in Africa. There's one in 2001. Here's what it said in the London Times back in 2001. Plagues of locusts are devastating crops from Central Asia to the American Midwest, sending farmers to the book of Exodus for salvation. Not since the Egyptians incurred the wrath of God have so many locusts had their day. A billion-strong army is on the move stretching far beyond the more normal swarming grounds of Africa and the Middle East. I went on to say that in some locations, the the density of locusts would be 10,000 per 10 10 feet, 10 square feet. Um, I mean, that's catastrophic. So now the people, they're faced with starvation and death from starvation with this destruction. And their gods are supposed to protect the fields. Their gods are su- supposed to provide a good harvest for them. So here the Lord, again, is humiliating the gods of Egypt. They certainly can't be trusted uh, to provide daily bread as he does. Um, Pharaoh does what we would expect. Tries to manipulate the situation. Does what's expedient at the time. Forgive my sin. My mistake. You know, Just this once. Verse 17. He speaks as if he, as if he had not sinned before. Or that he wouldn't keep on sinning. So we don't see any, any real spiritual life here. No conviction of sin. Just minimizing it in order to find relief. And he tries to make concession with Moses. Saying that it's, it's really the men that, that you need. Really the men that are going to sacrifice. He's, he's thinking like they would think in the ancient Near East. Thinking like an Egyptian. The rest of the family wouldn't take part in that. But for the people of Israel it's different. Worship for the Israelites is to be a family affair. And they're still going to learn what that looks like. The men will be the one making the sacrifices, but the rest of the family participates in observing, eating of the sacrificial meal. So that is, that is yet to come. But Pharaoh has no understanding of what God requires in worship. And something else that's, that's really ironic here is how the servants of Pharaoh respond at this threat. Did you catch that? They say Moses is a snare to Egypt. I mean, Egypt is trapped. The land is, is being ruined because of him. So, so Pharaoh and the Egyptians, they have ensnared the people of Israel. They've taken away their freedom and now they find themselves ensnared by the Lord God. And so their their request is it's quite practical and very self preserving. Um, you know, let the people go to save the land. Okay, we're being ruined here. All my retirement it's going away. Make it stop. And I, I often wonder, um, just reading through this over and over, um, and it, something that was affirmed even as I, I spent some time in the community this last month, prayer breakfast, and so forth and when we read and we pray that phrase god bless america is that really what we want when we say god bless america and we see things tanking around us morally economically and so we pray like this or we we make this statement but do we really trust god and want him to do what only he can do in bringing us to a place of repentance a place of dependence Upon him. I don't think that's what we mean. When we hear those words most often, we pray those words. We see the land being ruined, our prosperity or our comfort going away, and so we cry, God bless America. I wonder if we ever consider that his greatest blessing to this land, a land that refuses to humble itself before him, a church that refuses to humble itself before him, would be to send the locusts. To show us our need for Him. How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? 10 verse 3. Humility is not something that Pharaoh excels at. but It's a posture of those those who do look to the Lord. Who do lean upon Him. Humility. We hear it. We're taught it. Maybe we see it. But we know it is, what God, it is God's desire for His people. Think of the wisdom of the Proverbs. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He might lift you up. 1 Peter 5. It's God who exalts. God who raises up. The Father exalts His own Son, giving Him the name that is above every name. But his son, we read in Philippians 2, made himself nothing. Taking the form of a servant born in the likeness of men, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Jesus has shown us what humility looks like. He was humble for us. He he is our humility. I mean, that's the only way to really put away conceit, to put off self obsession the humility of Christ. and Humility doesn't mean that we're, we're thinking less of ourselves, that we're putting ourselves down as image bearers of God. But it does mean that we're thinking of ourselves less. Thinking on Christ more and, and considering the needs of others more. I appreciate the words of another teacher who says, Humility is a self-forgetfulness. Self-forgetfulness. Filling our thoughts with Jesus and the glory of the life we have bound to Him. In our pride, in those Pharaoh moments, we tell God where He belongs, what He should do. But in humility, we look away from ourselves. We look upon Christ. We exalt the Son and then submit to His Word. And in this strike again, we need to see the preview here. Heed the warning of the judgment to come by the hand of God. In Revelation 9, we hear then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions on the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. So this is, this is pale in comparison to what we've just read in Egypt. Okay, and we're not talking about destru- destruction of crops anymore. We're talking about people. The destruction and eternal torment of people who do not belong to God, who are not living in Goshen among the true Israel of God. The Pharaoh refuses to humble himself before God. The day is coming when all will be humbled before the Lord God, the righteous judge. And so may, may the Lord use this, may use this revelation. The certainty of that coming day uh, to humble us, move us to repentance. Uh, and that takes us right back to the purpose for these strikes altogether. The hardening of Pharaoh's heart. 10 verse 2. That you may tell in the hearing of your son of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them that you may know that I am the Lord. So the generations to come must know what the Lord has done. And the events of the Passover that we're going to read will serve as a continual reminder of this. How He had dealt harshly with the Egyptians. Showing His judgment and His mercy. Do you hear it? Are you you making those connections with your children, with with your grandchildren? Judgment and mercy coming together as a sign of God's love. A sign of His deliverance and what He has done. Our children must hear this. Again, yeah, not just for a few minutes on a Sunday morning, but in all of life. To hear what Christ has done. Judgment and mercy of God. Okay, we need to look rather quickly um, this last uh, strike here. 10 verse 21. The Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, and there, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness In all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, Go, serve the Lord, your little ones also may go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. But Moses said, You must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also must go with us, not a hoof shall be left behind. For we must take of them to serve the Lord our God. And we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. He would not let them go. And Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take care never to see my face again. For on that day you see my face, you shall die. Moses said, As you say, I will not see your face again. darkness nighttime we've already looked at this a little bit spending some time um, children that that doesn't seem like a big deal for us i mean we we continue operation through the nighttime most days Uh, we can travel at night we can can do our work but that was not the case in the ancient world when darkness came everything shut down that's when you lock the doors you close up shop Um, going out in the dark was unsafe and if you were out in the dark, then you were an unsafe person, most likely. And so darkness is associated with punishment and, and death, which is consistent throughout the ages. We want to avoid the disorder, the trouble that comes with darkness. And not to mention that the psychological effects of darkness. I mean, there's, just, there's so many stories of you know, solitary confinement, especially in darkness tells us how it just breaks down the mind. get a real sense of doom, a sense of despair when there is no light. Um, You think of when the sun is is eclipsed in the middle of the day and we get that temperature drop and there's an eerie feeling that goes with that. It shows us our our smallness, that there's something that we are not in control of here. Um, And Pharaoh, I mean, this one was... God may have saved the... The greatest for last here. Pharaoh is considered the son of amun Ra, the sun god. He was the one Pharaoh was to illuminate life, like the rising sun. Now what? What a humiliation here! Now there's total darkness except in Goshen, where it's light and day as as normal. Pharaoh has, has no power. But God does. Complete control. The one who says, let there be light, can turn off the lights just as fast. And that we don't read of any special intercession or prayer from Moses here, but the darkness lifts after three days. Um, but we see the gloom has certainly had its effect on Pharaoh. Go, get out of here, take your families, just leave the animals behind. Um, maybe you understand that statement. There's not a whole lot of animals left in Egypt. But again, it's not, it's not a deal for Moses. The Israelites need these animals for travel. They'll need them for sacrifices that they're going to learn about. Um, Pharaoh's stubborn heart persists. And he's finally had enough. He's ready to shoot the messenger. As if he can get rid of Moses, then he'll get rid of God and his demands. Um, not the first time Moses' life has been threatened by a Pharaoh. Right, he knows... Uh, and his, Pharaoh's words are almost prophetic here. Moses will be leaving, and all the people of Israel will be leaving with him. Uh, I think no one would be more ready than Moses to leave his presence. So the hardened heart of Pharaoh, uh, the darkness that surrounded him, it only pictures the darkness in his own heart. Depravity loves darkness. Darkness dwells in the hearts and the minds of Of those who do not believe, do not surrender to the sun, to the very light of the world. Apostle John is well known. I'll end with this contrasting this light and darkness. He writes in his first letter God is light, in him is no darkness at all. In the third chapter of the gospel, he says, For this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light. Because their works were evil. So have you come into the light? Can you you see with a heart of faith what is the true and and good and and beautiful in the gospel of Jesus Christ? And if you can say that, say, yes, I have seen the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And you need to hear Paul's exhortation. At one time you were darkness. Darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. So We see the power of God on display. I mean, we, we don't need a catastrophic event. We really don't. Like a tornado or an earthquake or a massive lava flow. We don't need that to see God's power. To see and know His justice and His mercy. We just need to look to the light of men. Look to the one who took on flesh, carried the cross on our behalf, delivering us from the slavery of sin. And we, when we look to Him, when we look to the light, then we proclaim the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness and into His marvelous light. Let's do that this week. Let's pray. Father, we do praise You that You are our light. You are the source of all that is true and good and beautiful. Lord, it's only in you that we can understand our own condition, our own need of your forgiveness and mercy. Lord, may we live those who are not just remorseful in the circumstances around us, but those who are repentant, turning from our sin, submitting to your life-giving word. We thank you for it this morning in Christ's name. Amen.